podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Chris Fuboli, Staff Actuary, Communications and Public Affairs at the CIA. Today we'll be taking a look at the CIA's role on the international stage, more specifically the work that we do within the International Actuarial Association. Joining me to provide more information on this are Jason Malone, the current chair of the CIA's International Affairs Council, and Jacques Tremblay, the past chair of the IAC. Thank you both for taking the time to speak with us today. Good morning, Chris. Glad to be here. Great to be here. Thanks, Chris. So let's start off. Uh, Maybe can you tell us about the International Actuarial Association itself? Who belongs to the organization and what is its purpose? The International Actuarial Association is an association of association. So the Canadian Institute of Actuaries is a full membership, uh, full member association, FMA. The Society of Actuaries is a member. The IFOA from the UK is a member. Uh, there's actually something like 70 associations worldwide uh, forming the membership of the uh, association. There's also associate members, uh, but I won't get into those, those details. The, the second part of, of your question is what is its purpose? Uh, the International Actual Association as a vision statement, a mission statement, and just like we do at the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. And really within the mission statement, you understand what they're trying to do. And what what we're trying to do at the international level is to really have a presence with global stakeholders. So the uh, International Association, uh, the IASB, the uh, International Actual Standards Board, or uh, the one which deals with uh, uh, the capital requirements as well. So we want the association of association to have an international voice with international bodies. We want to inform them on actual matters. We want to influence them in a polite manner. That's what actuaries do. We we don't want to walk on anyone's toes. Uh, Second fold, we want to assure the reputation of the profession worldwide. We do have, we, we want a certain quality standard of actuarial delivery of product to the public uh, to be at a certain level. And finally, there's a lot of research as well taking place at the IAA at multiple level within the working group. Uh, and and uh, we want to advance the, uh, the talent and the, the competency of the profession. Okay, so why is it important for Canadian actuaries to get involved internationally? Thanks, Chris, that's a great question. Um, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick up on some of the points that Jock mentioned, uh, you know, th- this association and why we want to participate in this association very actively is, as Jacques mentioned, uh, a lot of the things that we do as a profession is um, is based on international standards, international, you know, the accounting standards, for example. Um, so for us to join this one international voice uh, enables us to speak more loudly, right? So as Jacques mentioned, uh, one of the efforts that is being done um, through this uh, through this association is to um, you know, very gently lobby uh, to ensure that you know, for example, when accounting standards come out, uh, they reflect our Canadian uh, environment. But it's also to ensure that our profession nationally uh, stands for something as well. So to ensure that our profession has a equivalent education background across the world, that our standard of practice for which we uh, find very important in Canada is also replicated uh, or is of a similar quality around the world. 
So it's very important for us to participate uh, and to actively participate uh, and add our voice to this international uh, association. What I would add to that is that at the end of the day, uh, the profession in Canada will not be strong if we are not strong internationally. Uh, the flavor is more and more and so to be a global flavor. Uh, we benefit the CIA in uh, the interaction that we have with our colleagues worldwide. Uh, we've discussed with South Africa, for instance, what they've done in, in the banking domain. And to a certain extent, we're trying to bring that to, to Canada. And a weak international actualization uh, would actually mean weak standards of practice, weak educational uh, material through educational notes, what we call the international actuarial notes, the IANs. So the CIA is actually pulling more than their weight at the international level. We have very strong standards of practice in Canada and we're pushing it through. We're pushing it through at the international level to, to raise the bar. And I'm very proud of that. And that's my big reason why we have to be involved at the international level. How many members does the CIA have working internationally, and can you tell us anything about them? Yeah, we did. Uh, we've asked. Uh, I the, the numbers that, that I that I have, and I'll, I'll go big ballpark picture. Uh, we have five thousand members at the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. Of that, uh, ten percent or five hundred members uh, are actually uh, not in Canada. Uh, we find them mainly in the U.S. Uh, but more uh, and more, we're finding some of them in Asia. And we actually have a strong contingent of people in Bermuda as well. Uh, we've asked them as well uh, why they've kept their CIA membership. And uh, we got two primary reasons uh, as part of our survey. One is I might return to Canada and I need to stay current, uh, which makes sense. Uh, the other one, which I, I thought was, was nice for sentimental reason, was uh, I'm a Canadian and I'm an actuary, so I'm keeping my FCIA. Uh, but the true to answer that we get at the end of the day is uh, how proud people worldwide are of, of what we do at the CIA. Uh, the standards of practice, the educational note, the research, uh, the quality of all that, and they need that. Like if I look at Canadian working in the Caribbean, uh, they actually look at our standards of practice and to the extent possible, bring them pretty well as is in their own regulation, as well as regulators. I know regulators in the Caribbean that used to work for the office of the superintendent of financial institution, and they bring their knowledge uh, to their region. Okay, Jason, anything to add? Uh, no, maybe uh, just uh, to mention that we, uh, on a regular basis, we do uh, do outreach uh, to continue understanding and to uh, understanding the needs of Canadians practicing outside uh, of Canada and how we can um, better help them uh, as Canadian actuaries uh, serve in other countries and, and how can we, um, as, the, as the Institute, uh, provide programs for them to to continue being great Canadian actuaries um, and influencing uh, how they work in the profession itself, uh, where they are. So I wouldn't hesitate if, if you are practicing, listening to this podcast and you're practicing outside of Canada to, to reach out. Uh, we, we have multiple committees uh, that, um, that develop uh, programs. And if you want to add your voice, please uh, reach out to us.
Earlier you mentioned uh, international standards and guidance. Can we talk about that for a minute? Tell us how they're developed, uh, how they're adopted, and how are they used by member organizations? Yeah, so um, within the various committees at the IAA, um, and understanding that currently the IAA is going through a, a fair, fairly major restructuring, but traditionally what has been done in is uh, there is a committee uh, that, uh, that looks at the various fields where an actuary can, can practice um, and whether or not one um, uh, standard of practice or uh, new guidance needs to be uh, developed, as well as looking at what is currently uh, you know, out there and whether it need, or not it needs to be refreshed. So th th there is a committee and then this committee will uh, enact whether it's a task force, whether it's a, a working group uh, to develop um, any new type of standard that needs to be um, you know, put forward. Uh, so again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, there is a, a common thread uh, internationally as to what uh, the actuary should follow uh, as a standard of practice. And then it's the communication of what has been developed and, and uh, the, uh, the hope um, uh, when we publish these is that uh, other associations that are members of the associations will use that as a basis to develop uh, standard of practice in their uh, region um, and, and add their own national flavors to those, uh, to those practice. Jacques, I know you've done some of, a lot of work uh, around that. Did, any uh, further comments on that? The international actuarial uh, standards and international actuarial notes, they're not binding, right? You can look at it as safe harbor best practices. It's really up to the full member association to adopt them. Uh, now, we have a lot of Canadian involved at the international level, so there's a bit of a Canadian flavor to it. Uh, but we've adopted them. I'm thinking about the general standards of the IAA, the one on social security, uh, and the and IFRS 4, uh, which will come shortly for, for uh, sorry, the ISAP 4 for IFRS 17. Uh, we're trying as much as possible to adopt them as is, with very, very small changes. Some other region will take what works for them, uh, and that's okay. But at the end of the day, again, we want to raise the bar for everybody worldwide. Uh, what I also want to add is, is that there's two key sets of documents within uh, the IAEA. There are the standards themselves, and then there's there are the, there are the actuarial notes. There's also research paper. Uh, the the way it's done, it's quite rigorous. Uh, as Jason mentioned, uh, a working group will come up with an idea. They'll mention it to the executive committee for approval. Uh, and then they'll get working on the document. If it's a standard, it has to be blessed by the standard committee of the IAA. It needs an exposure draft, a, a comment period from association at large, which is 60 or 90 days minimum. And then it comes back with, with changes. It's the same thing with the IAN. A working group creates it. Now it's a professionalism committee uh, that signs off on it from a quality content point of view. And at the end of the day, for both the standards and the IAN, the console votes, uh, which is, you know, all of the associations are there and they approve uh, the documents, just like in Tokyo lately, they adopted the uh, ISAP 4. So what I want to tell our members is that there's a lot of rigor and quality control behind the standards and the IAN 
uh, and the research papers that are done and it's multiple level within the IA. What are some of the key international committees that have representatives from the CIA? Yeah, let me start with, uh, you've asked the key international committees that have representation within the CIA. And let me go, go back a little bit because we have a big infrastructure within the CIA itself in order to feed uh, the IAEA in our representation. Uh, and nothing would really work forward if it wasn't for uh, the great work from Michel Simard and Alicia Rollo. They are extremely, extremely helpful. Uh, and, and clearly, uh, without them, we would not be able to do what we do. So kudos to the two of them. Uh, Jason Malone is the next line of contact internationally, is our chair of the uh, International uh, Committee. Uh, he's also on the nomination committee of the IAEA, which is a very, very important committee. That's where they approve who's going to be chair and vice chair of all of the IAEA committees out there. Micheline Dion is our ambassador, uh, and just as the title says, uh, is really uh, in charge of the relationship with the other association. At the international meeting, we have bilateral uh, get-together with many of the association, and Micheline is present at all of these discussions. Uh, within the CIA, we also have an, what we call uh, a participation committee, which is led by Jason Vary. Uh, and that committee is in charge of the annual uh, document that we send to the IAA, uh, which basically says we would like this person to be chair or vice chair of these multiple committees. So the participation committee within the CIA is extremely important. Last year, we submitted 16 members for key leadership role within the IAA. Uh, and we're quite happy with the returns that we've got. Uh, but Jason Berry has been doing a fantastic job there. Jason is also part of the professionalism committee at the IAA. Uh, which is basically a quality standard committee. Uh, I had the privilege of being named on the executive committee of the IAEA this year. There's only eight seats. Micheline used to be on the executive committee before, so we're very happy with that. John Dark is on the audit and finance committee. Uh, and a few other key names, we have Luke Farmer. Luke is vice chair of the actual standards committee at the IAEA. Stuart Wayson is chair of the entrance regulation, which has to do with entrance capital standard. Asia Billing uh, is vice chair of the social security committee. Uh, Bill Whelan uh, has just been named vice chair on the property casualty side of general insurance. And then we have a multitude of members that are also members of these committees. I'm thinking of uh, Robert Berenson on accounting, Terry Nareen on health, Tom Levy, who's just leaving on pension and employee, Elmut on insurance regulation. So to, to give you a flavor, there, there's uh, insurance standards, insurance ca uh, capital standards, there's pension, there's uh, property casualty, there's health, there's mortality, there's social security. Uh, so many, many, many committees, and, and we have very strong uh, membership uh, within and leadership mem members on, uh, on all of them. Jason? Yeah, no, maybe uh, just add a couple of things on this. And as uh, Jacques was going through the various committees, I think it gives everyone a, a flavor of the breadth of what the IA represents. Um, and when I think about the IA, education is also very important. Uh, you know, we, we talked about standard of practice. We, we talked about, you know, in every single field that an, uh, an actuary can practice. Uh, and, and this is why it's important for the CIA to submit uh, great candidates to the IA. And it's important for us uh, to place uh, 
um, Canadians in those various committees to have strong roles, because again, the IAA, uh, you know, goes to the OECD, goes to the ISB, and all these international bodies, and we want to ensure that the Canadian view is front and center. Uh, we want to make sure that our voice is heard, um, that you know, we show that as Canadians, we have strong actuaries, that we have a strong profession, um, and that we, in all the decisions and all the, uh, the, the, the content that is developed at the IAA, there's a very strong Canadian presence in everything that is developed. So can you tell us about the purpose of the various sections that are within the IAA? The, the sections are connected to the IAA, but they're actually extremely independent. What the sections do is they do research. Uh, and as you can imagine, I mentioned like uh, a, a long list of, of field that we cover. Well, the sections do the same. There's one for financial risk in ERM. There's one for property casualty. There's one for actuaries without borders, health, life, consulting, and pension and social security. And their purpose is research. Uh, you can pay dues that goes directly to the section, which is a bit of a bone of contention at the IAA. Uh, but all of these sections are well-financed. They have a strong uh, group of followers. They do very, very deep actuarial research, I find. And they do actually have a colloquium. Uh, I don't think it's every year. Uh, they do meet every year, though. Uh, and, and they will have contests on, on research paper on specific fields. And they will have three days' worth of sessions where people get to present their uh, their their paper. So it's well done and it, it, it feeds uh, the actuarial knowledge clearly. Lately, IFRS, of course, has been a huge focus on the international stage. Can you give us a quick summary of what other projects uh, related to IFRS are currently on the go and what may be coming to follow after IFRS is implemented? Yeah, so I'll let uh, Jacques uh, give uh, more details around IFS 17 that has been a, a um, you know, very um, you know, talked about uh, subject over the past uh, couple of years and, and where the Canadian Institute of Actuaries and its members have been uh, key participants and, and which has been recognized uh, in Tokyo in multiple fronts, whether it's from other associations uh, in the US or in Europe. Uh, on our involvement and our strong leadership in that front, but I, you know, again, as as we've said earlier, um, you know, why we think the IA is very important is to have this, as Jacques mentioned, this this very um, united front as a profession towards um, these international issues, such as new standards that are put forward or or revised standards that are put forward by the International Accounting Standard Boards and ISF. IFRS 17 being one of them. Jacques, do you want to talk a little bit more about IFRS 17? Yep. Uh, and also, let, let me tell you a little bit about, about uh, some of the other projects that, that are going. The You're quite right. We have an army of people working on IFRS 17. Uh, Micheline was leading the charge. She was the chairperson uh, for ISAP4. And Luke Farmer was very key in having, in, having it adopted uh, within the the, the actual standards part of the IAA. There's a subgroup as well, which is part of the uh, IAA accounting committee that's working on, on actuarial notes. It's a big book of 15 chapters, key topics on, on IFRS 17 from discounting, from contracts service margin, 
uh, from how to do it, basically. It's really, really well done. It's been three years in the making. It has gone through multiple drafts uh, and has, has received comments from the International Association. And the next draft will be published uh, in Q1 or Q2 of, of this year. Uh, ISAP 4 was just adopted, which is on FRS 17. They're working on ISAP 6 on enterprise risk management. They're working on ISAP 7, uh, which has to do with capital standards for life and property casualty insurance companies. Uh, and the last topic that we've heard, uh, and I know that's a bone of contention with some of our actuaries, is actually a document on climate risk, uh, which is actually led by Michelin Dion uh, at the IAEA level. And we have received, uh, we have been approached by international association on how to deal with climate risk. Uh, from an actuarial point of view. So it's not just us thinking out of the box that we've got to be in that space. International Association came to us knocking on our door at the international level, which speaks to the relationship that we've built with them. And if we don't fill that space with you know, our actual knowledge of risk associated with climate changes, somebody else will fill the space. Economists will, accountant will. Uh, so it's really, really important for us to put our step uh, you know, uh, get in there. We have lots of talent. And and uh, I was very impressed by the presentation from Micheline at the consul in Tokyo, uh, basically getting the blessing from consul to move forward with uh, this, this ask internationally to us. So that's uh, the, the key topic that we, uh, that, that are yet to come other than FRS 17, ISAP 6, ISAP, ISAP 7, and the Climate Risk Task Force. You mentioned Tokyo, which was the site of the most recent IAEA Council meeting that took place at the end of November. Can you give us some insight into what happens at these events and what were some of the main points of discussion at this last meeting? The Let me go first, Jason. The, the IAEA is going through uh, a major restructuring and some of the association, uh, well, let me go back a little bit. There's a principle of subsidiarity within the International Electoral Association. And what that means is that the IAEA will not tippy-toe into an FMA's domain. So if something really belongs to the CIA and it should be developed by the CIA, that's where it should stay. Same thing with the UK, China, Africa. So this principle of subsidiarity is at the top of what the IAEA is doing. And the IA has grown over the years, and some member association felt that the lines needed to be redrawn in the sand as to what is the purpose of the IAA, what is its mission, and, and that there was a need for restructuring. Uh, and the IAA has ex existed for many years, and even though it was painful to go through the process, uh, I like where we ended up at the end of the day. There was a lot of discussion in Washington as to what would this restructuring look like. And in Tokyo, uh, the top-down approach of the restructuring was adopted. And that was the key element of, of one of the key elements that was discussed in Tokyo, where basically uh, the consul will exist still and, and is in essence the, the one voting entity uh, of the marching orders of the IAEA. There's going to be a strategic planning committee 
that will be created where people on that strategic committee will actually represent the full member association. They'll be wearing their full member association hat and they'll be talking about the strategy of the IEA and what should, we should be working on. The executive committee uh, will have eight members and these people will wear the IAA hat. And the strategic planning committee will make recommendation, but they'll be approved by the EC at the end of the day. And then the other key committee that's staying around is, is the nomination committee that I mentioned before Jason is on, which elects the chairs and vice chairs of all the, multi, the, uh, the of, of all the committees that exist within the IAA. So that's the core, and, and we've had many discussion in Tokyo on on this, as you can understand, it's very political. Uh, you need the buy-in of all the association, and the vote went in uh, almost unanimously. There was only one association who uh, did not agree with the restructuring whatsoever, and they made their voice heard. But at the end of the day, people, a, a great team of individual worldwide got together and over the last year did a lot of work from a top-down approach on the restructuring of the IAA and that was voted successfully in, in Tokyo. That was the highlight. There was also a lot of work on IFRS 17 that was done and all the other multiple committee got together. Uh, and, and so Jason, now I'll, I'll get you to do the tough part of uh, what else happened in Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it almost seems like the entire discussion or the entire week was around the restructuring, but in fact, um, as uh, you know, as the week progressed, uh, there, there's a lot of work uh, that has been done in the various committees. I know I participated in the uh, the, the, the pensions uh, conversations, um, and there's this uh, concern over, for example, negative interest rates. Um, you know, in, in discussions and how can we help in countries where they've already reached that threshold, and how do you account for that? Um, you know, what should we? For example, talk to the ISB about uh, these things and how they view uh, the potential for negative interest rates. But also, as uh, Jacques mentioned earlier, on climate risk, uh, but also in all the various fields, right? So whether it's education, whether it's professionalism, whether it's standard uh, setting, um, you know, continue the various conversations and in, in moving the profession forward uh, to ensure that, again, we have a strong voice uh, through the various international bodies. So at these IA meetings, I know that the member organizations come from very different backgrounds, different practices, and speaking different languages. How are you able to come to agreements on anything when you have so many different perspectives that are at the table? <laughs> the uh, courtesy, courtesy, courtesy. Uh, we, have, we have rules of play as well, right? You can imagine uh, that English is not the first language for many of those associations. Uh, and uh, it is stressed upon at every committee that you have to listen to everyone, you have to be uh, polite, and everybody has something to say. And at the end of the day, we're all pushing in the same direction. We do want, we all want to raise the bar. Uh, and I look at the general standard, the social security standards, the FRS 17 standard that we have, and everybody pushed in the same direction at the end of the day. There's a lot of discussion. I discussed earlier the structure uh, and the rigor that we have behind approving all of these documents. And that's where some of the friction happens. Uh, and I must admit, sometimes it dilutes the product because uh, say Canada would want uh, something strong about something specific. Uh, and at the end of the day, it does get voted down. Uh, then it's up to us then in Canada to implement that 
locally as opposed to at the international level. Uh, you can imagine that the SOA, the IFOA, a very, very strong voice within uh, the IAA. Uh, but we're also seen as, as the Switzerland of, of the world. Uh, people come to us uh, as diplomats and, and try to mitigate or, or get people to agree to a position. Uh, so we're very, very highly regarded as well. So uh, at the end of the day, it's hard work, but it's people pushing all in the right direction internationally. And one of the roles of the nomination committees, which I'll be uh, starting uh, my role in uh, in uh, 2020, is to ensure that there is a diversity of views in each of the committees. Uh, so, for example, um, in a particular committee such as you know pensions, for example, we will ensure that the committee members uh, are well represented, but also the chairmanship as well as the vice chairs, so that the leadership of each of the committees represent different regions. Uh, for example, we won't have three Americans or three Canadians serving as chairs and two vice chairs. We'll ensure that we have a view, for example, of Asia, a view of, of the US, um, of, of Europe uh, and Canada, uh, and, and trying to get that diversity in the leadership so that in the organization of these meetings, the organization of the calls, the organization of the projects, uh, you get diversity uh, in the geography. Um, in, in ensuring that you get these different views in the various works that is being done. What are some of the other important international bodies that the CIA interacts with? Well, I mentioned earlier, there's the International Accounting Standards Board. Uh, so that's that's been a very, very key committee that uh, developed IFRS 17 in essence. And we've had a strong relationship with them for many, many years. Uh, the next one that's getting a lot of uh, wind in their sail uh, is the International Association of Insurance Supervisors, the IAIS. Uh, OSFIS is present uh, on that committee. Quebec as well through the Autorité des Marchés Financières uh, also as representant on the IAIS. And they're bringing capital standards and they're bringing capital standards at an international level. Uh, and so as we see in Canada under uh, life insurance capital adequacy testing, the LICAT ratio, it's got a strong international flavor, not a solvency to flavor, but it, and so it's important for us through Stuart Wayson, who's chair of the Insurance Regulation Committee, to have a voice to discuss these new standards with the IAIS. Uh, from Jason's point of view, there's the International Organization of Pension Supervisors, uh, to which we meet from time to time. There's the International Social Security Association, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, uh, and the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. So I hope people appreciate that for us to have a presence internationally is key. I, I named like seven associations worldwide, and they only want to talk to somebody who is worldwide. They don't want to come and talk to Canada or talk to the US or talk to the IFOA. So it's really important for us to, to have you know, connectivity collaboration, relationship, and to have that at the international level. So that's part of the reason why we need to be involved there. Yeah, and I'll give an example, a specific example of the, the work that we do, uh, OECD on the pension basis, for example, and one of the things that the OECD came to us uh, to, to get a better understanding of, of the pension situation globally. 
as many of those who will listen to the podcast understand, there has been a shift um, in, in the pension environment for the past uh, several years and a move away from defined benefit model to defined contribution model. And the OECD was, was very intrigued and curious about the impact of that move um, and really reached out to us as a global organization, as a global association that had uh, expertise in the various countries around the world uh, to get a better understanding country by country, what was that shift and what was the importance of that shift and the consequences of that shift. The same thing around the transfer to you know, you, you can think about it, a pension risk transfer, you know, how societies are um, moving towards shifting more and more of that risk uh, toward, to, to the participants, to the individual versus the, uh, the employer. Uh, so again, as Jacques said, um, they're interested in talking to a global in, uh, association and not having to make 50 phone calls. They have to make one phone call with a collaboration that is much more efficient. Final question for you. Can you tell us how the Canadian actuarial profession is perceived by our international partners? We're very well perceived. Uh, I'm very, very proud of uh, uh, our international commitment, uh, our delivery as well. Like, if, and you know, I'm tapping ourselves uh, on on the shoulder, but uh, you have to be there to to believe it, and and uh, people know. How good Canadian actuaries are! Like we, we have talented people, and and people recognize that. We uh, deliver more than our weight. Uh, we have worked very hard over the last many years to have leadership uh, members on all those committees that we that we mentioned, from the life, casualty, pension, uh, and health part of the world. Uh, the names that I mentioned before are very strong Canadians. Uh, so when we ask for volunteers actually for these committees, uh, we interview people. We very often will have three or five people wanting to represent Canada on these positions. And, and so you can imagine the quality of the people that we have is excellent. These people are vocal, they get involved, they move a lot of dirt, they actually get their hands dirty. Uh, and that's very, very nice to see. The other association recognized that we pull a lot. Uh, and uh, but on the other side, as I mentioned before, it's done in a very collaborative fashion. They do see us as uh, a neutral country uh, that has in mind really what is best for the IAA. We really try hard to wear a IAA hat when we're there and not a CIA hat, more so when we're chair and vice chair of committees. People see that as well. And then finally, what works really, really well are the bilateral meeting. Uh, I feel bad for Alicia, uh, Michelle, and Micheline because we're there for, say, five days in Tokyo, and their calendar is packed from 7 in the morning till 9 at night of meeting three to four associations per day to have 45-minute discussions with them. There's always an agenda. People know in advance the topics that are going to be discussed with other associations. And we try to find uh, common grounds within this association. But the relationship that you built and the understanding that you built through these bilateral sessions helps you with the work product at the end of the day as well. So it, it's a very, very good engine, the quality of the people we have. Uh, but also, I also have to thank the people that were there before our generation, like the Dave Peltier, the Rob Brown of the world. And I know I'm not doing favor. I know we had presidents in the past as well at the IAA, and I'm not mentioning their name, and I apologize for that. But we had 
a strong group of actuaries in the past pushing hard at the IAA that is being recognized. We have a strong group of people today and and uh, we'll try to uh, keep it going. Yeah, and maybe what I'll, uh, I'll add here is uh, often we, what we'll do is um, out, do an outreach uh, to participate in these uh, in these committees. So look out for these advertisements. And, and as uh, Jacques mentioned, we do have a lot of candidates and we do um, put a very high bar on, on who we select because we want to continue this tradition of individuals that are passionate about their profession, passionate about the environment uh, in which we work in and will uh, do everything they can to continue this tradition of having high quality uh, candidates and high quality uh, volunteers uh, that, that participate in these various committees. Well, it's been a lot of great information today, so thanks very much for taking the time to speak with us. Our pleasure. Thank you. And if you're interested in getting involved with the CIA's international activities, please get in touch with an IAC member. Their contact information can be found on the CIA website. I'm Chris Fivoli, and thank you for tuning in to Seeing Beyond Risk. 